fact, well, thank you, Heath, that was perfect. That was exactly it. I told him this a lot this morning. It's a lot. Because Jesus, he says a lot here. Um, but he says a lot less than you think he says. Um, and I'm going to, we're going to walk through this um, and do this. But I just want to say today as we begin that God is good. Um, is he not? There are times in our lives we question the goodness of God. And... God is good. Um, last weekend, I shared with some of you, we had an um, interesting weekend. Uh, I don't know how many handymen are in the room, um, but I had some issues last weekend. Um, our dishwasher has been broken for about a month uh, or longer, and so we've just been washing by hand, and um, Deidre was like, I, I, finally I was at Starbucks, I was working on a sermon, I was like, I'm going to go see how much a dishwasher is. And I don't know when you last shopped for a dishwasher, but oh my goodness, it is ridiculous how much a dishwasher costs. So I was like, I'm going to fix that dishwasher. And so <clears throat> I went back, and um, I'm, I'm a shortcut handyman. Um, I don't know about any of you, if you're a shortcut handyman, I'm, a, I'm like, why well, spend more time on this than you need to? Can I get an amen? Um, not many, not many, because some of you know what that means. So, like, when I'm messing with the outlet, like, it's just 110, right? It's just 110. What's it going to do for you? Um, if you touch it, like, you're going to get a little zap, and you're going to be okay. No big deal, but i got to walk all the way down to the breaker box and figure out which breaker it is and all that. So, um, so I don't typically turn off the electric when I do electrical work, and um, dishwashers actually use water and electric. And so... Uh, I, it was a, it's a direct wire dishwasher. This is way more information you need. Some of you are thinking, how long is the sermon going to be? I haven't even gotten to the introduction to the sermon yet. Um, God, I'm just telling you, God is good. And so I pulled the dishwasher out, and um, copper line they had used was great, but it had crimped and it broke, and someone didn't turn the water off because they're a shortcut handyman. Uh, and interestingly enough, you have a pressure reducer in your dishwasher, um, that reduces the pressure coming in from outside, that when you break the water line before it gets to the pressure reducer, guess what? It's not reduced. And it floods your kitchen really, really fast. And uh, so Deidre was in there, and I'm like, what, what is happening here? And <clears throat> Deidre runs out of the room. I, I mean, I'm in, my, I'm in need here. And she runs out of the room. And she comes back, and, and, and I'm like, I need help, you know, because, I mean, I didn't say it that way. I'm sure I said it in a very spiritual way, but it probably, I'm not sure it came out that way. And uh, so anyway, she, she came back with a towel. I'm like, that's not going to help. That's not going to help. That's not going to help. And, the, and so anyways, so I got the water turned off. got the dishwasher fixed. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Nobody died, and the house is still there. So the next day, we had Jonathan's birthday, and... Um, we had a cake, big cake, beautiful cake, um, big cake box. Um, we had the party, we brought the cake back, we put the cake on top of the oven. Um, we have a very fancy oven. Um, it's got the controls on the front, not on the back, you know, around on the front where the dog can hit it and turn your oven on. And uh, so had cake up there. Interestingly, dogs like to jump up on ovens when there are cakes on top of them. And uh, so I'm sitting in, I'm tired, it's it's late, um, Sunday, it's not late, it's like 6 o'clock Sunday night, but I, it feels like it's midnight. I'm tired on Sundays by that time of day. And I'm sitting there and I'm working on some stuff and, and Malia pops her head in. Hey dad, um, something's on fire in the kitchen. With literally that much um, urgency. 
that much urgency in her voice. Um, just um, let me just say that's not how you announce something's on fire in your house. So I go running back there, and uh, Deidre has her jacket off, and I mean she's like, oh, pow, and what like, pow, and she's trying, and the flames are no joke this high, and I'm like, our house is gone, our house is gone, it is burned down. And she's just hitting it. And paper, paper when you burn paper, because the box is paper, um, just burning, big burning ashes, like literally float everywhere. So she's hitting it, and burning ashes are going everywhere. And I'm like, ah! And this is the day after I've just flooded the kitchen. And, uh, and, and I just wanted to say God is good this morning as we get started. So I go to get the fire extinguisher, and Deidre says, wait, wait, because I don't know if you've ever used a, a kitchen fire extinguisher. It's all powder. It's all powder in case you have a grease fire. She says, it's not a grease fire. We can use water. Well, pow, well, pow, well, pow. <laughs> Stuff's going everywhere. And so I grab it, and I, I pull the pin, and I, powder everywhere. Um, house is still there. Praise the Lord. God is good. And I will just say, even if the house had burned down, God is good. Amen? Um, there are all kinds of crazy things that happen in our lives, and God is good through them all. So, um, I need to hang up my handyman um, apron, because obviously I'm clear not, clearly not good at it, uh, but I just felt like I needed to share that with you today. Uh, as we also get started this morning, let me just say, uh, I mean, we are in great need of some additional uh, children's volunteers, if you are able at all to serve uh, we've been having more kids over the last couple of weeks. We, they've been, we've had fewer. Um, we've got a few people who are serving like every single weekend right now. And that's just, it's not good for them. It's not right for them. We, we need to also come alongside. And, and if you're able to serve, we, we could, we could use that, um, help. If you're like, I'm no good with kids, this is, this is, there's a way you get to be good with kids. Um, and this is one of them. You spend time with them. So if you're able to do that, come see me or Deidre. We could really, um, use some additional help so we can do really a fantastic children's ministry, which is what we want to do here. All right, um, Matthew chapter six. We've been moving through the Sermon on the Mount, and this passage of scripture, like we're making a, a, a huge leap forward. We're, this is our thirteenth week in the Sermon on the Mount, and we honestly have a lot longer to go. Um, but today, we could have broken down each of the things that we just um, read, what he just read about. We could go through each section, and we can talk about prayer and generosity and we can talk about fasting and we could give each week its own topic each each our each um, section its own week and its own topic so that we can talk about each of those things and really cover prayer and really cover generosity and really cover um, fasting but this not really jesus isn't really talking about prayer fasting or generosity in any of this and yet he still is um, so as we come through here and as we read Scripture, one of the things we have to do is we have to understand what is being said, and we also have to understand what is not being said. Uh, and, and so as we come through this, I want us to, to go back to just verse 1, um, because really this is everything Jesus is going to say over these next few topics is about verse 1. And let's just read that again together. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Everything he just read about is about that. The prayer is not really about prayer. 
Fasting is not really about fasting, and generosity is not really about generosity, even though everything he said about all three things is absolutely true and important. So I don't want to diminish the importance of it, but I also don't want to take an easy tangent and say, you know what, let's just talk about we should be generous. Because it's way easier to hear Jesus that way than it is to hear Jesus say, don't practice your generosity in front of others. Right? Because then it's like, I don't know what he's saying here. I don't really know what this means. And why, does it even matter? Like, if someone's in need, do they care what the motive is behind meeting the need as long as they're meeting the need? Doesn't the ends justify the means no matter what? And in, in Christendom, we have come to a place where we really do believe the ends justify the means. And so the heart is not as important as the action or the activity. And what it's doing is it's, it's literally turning the rest of the world off from Jesus. Because we do things and we expect things, but yet our hearts are still really messed up. And so I do want to kind of walk back through this, but I want you to understand what Jesus is driving at. And so far we've been at this place in this part of this sermon, this longest sermon that we have a record of. I doubt it's his longest sermon he gave, but it's at least the longest one that we have a record of. And all the, the apostles were like, you know, we really need to write that one down. And and it's it's also the one that talks primarily about the king. I mean, all his sermons are about the kingdom of God, but this one is like, this is what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. And he announces that in the beginning of the sermon with the Beatitudes in which he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, for you who have been hoping for the kingdom, the kingdom is yours. For you who are poor in spirit, the kingdom is yours. For you who are meek, the kingdom is yours. For those of you who are trying to follow as best you can and people are giving you a hard time because of it, the kingdom is yours. The kingdom of God is here, and the kingdom of God is for you. And then he goes on to talk about different things. And last week, um, John, my friend John came, and if you missed that, you can, you can check out the podcast or go back to YouTube or Facebook and catch that. But John is just, a, a, he has an incredible heart for the Lord. He's a good friend. Um, he and his wife helped us start this church. And he did a great job just talking about the difference between living by the open hand or the closed fist. Um, even though the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about loving your enemies and not retaliating against people who wrong you, which is the idea of the open hand. I don't hold the thing so tightly that I have to get even with people when they hurt me. I don't hold things so tightly that if I really dislike you, I wish for, for bad things to happen for you. Instead, Jesus says the kingdom's the exact opposite of that. I mean, we, we love even, even our enemies, and, and we don't seek retaliation. If retaliation and God will take care of that. We, we don't seek it. We seek to love each other. Um, we've also seen Jesus say that you need to be, be careful how you live because you are salt and light in the world and how you live your life will determine how another person will receive the gospel. So if we um, accept some of the teachings of Jesus but we don't live out the teachings of Jesus, we're not actually salt and light. Jesus has also talked about anger. Um, Jesus has talked about how we're supposed to love each other. And he comes to this place where he starts talking about authenticity. And if you're following along on version, I've, I've titled today Authenticity Part 2. Authenticity Part 1 was talking about oaths. Don't, don't use God to get your point across. Don't swear on God in order for someone to believe you more because we at our core are not people that can, can sustain God's reputation by our own character. 
Like our character struggles. It suffers. We, we have issues with our character. And we say things like, I swear to God. It's not, it's not the curse word. It's, it's not the fact that we say, I swear to God. Like, oh, God's going to be mad at us. It's the fact that we are invoking God as the one who is going to uphold our promise. God upholds God's promises, not our promises. And so authenticity is about living authentically, being yourself. Jesus wasn't really saying, don't ever promise anything. He was saying, be just completely honest. Just be honest. Authenticity is the thing everyone wants, but most everyone is also afraid to have. I want to just be me. I don't want to pretend to be somebody else. But at the same time, I'm scared to death to live that out. I don't want people to know what's really going on inside of me. So he was calling us to authenticity. He was calling us to a bigger way of living and a bigger way of loving and a bigger way of experiencing the world and the creation and God. And he says, "This is listen, all of this wraps up into um, love God and love people. Jesus says, I didn't come to give up the law, to, to, to let it go and to say none of this matters. I came to show you what it was meant to do in you. Love God and love people. And then we come to this passage. And we have this incredible moment in which all these people are coming along Jesus. And Jesus is talking. And, and you know, they're asking Him questions. And they, we've talked about you know, marriage and the ending of marriage. And uh, we've, they're, they're trying to trap Him. And He's trying to say, listen, you have missed the whole point of what all this is about. And after he finishes that section on loving your enemies and not trying to get revenge against people who hurt you, he comes to Matthew 6.1 and he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And I, I have a feeling he was probably looking at some specific people when he said this because the Pharisees were there. They had just asked him about divorce. He knew they were there. He knew their influence in the community and their influence was one of of a lack of authenticity. They said one thing, but they lived another. And what they wanted was power. They wanted influence. They wanted wealth. And so they would say whatever they had to say in order to get that, and yet they didn't actually live it out. And and later Jesus, you know, he's he's a really gentle, kind um, person, but he said, woe to you, you Pharisees, because when you convert somebody, you make them twice the child of the devil that you are. He had a very low regard for the authenticity and spiritual health of many of these Pharisees. Though not all. Some Pharisees would come to follow Jesus and repent, um, and they became followers, disciples of Jesus. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, Everything else after that is a continuation of that thought. If we go down to verse 2, um, let's go to the next slide, go down to verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet. And then if we, he has a little section on generosity, then jumps down to verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. And then we jump down to verse 7, and he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they will be heard for their many words. And then we jump down to verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. In other words, Jesus says, don't practice your righteousness before others, thus, don't be generous like the Pharisees, and don't pray like the Pharisees, 
and don't fast like the, the Pharisees. That's all the continued thought of verse 1 in chapter 6. So it's not that prayer doesn't matter in this passage. It's, that's not the main thing Jesus is trying to get across. It's, it's not that fasting doesn't matter. It's not the main thing Jesus is trying to get across. It's not that generosity doesn't matter. It's not, it's just, that's not the main thing Jesus is saying right here. These are all things that he expects everyone else to understand and to adhere to. He expects people to be doing these things. So we come to this question, then what is being assumed by Jesus in this moment? And as we read through this, if you go back and read through verses 1-18 through of Matthew 6, nowhere in this section is Jesus saying, you should go pray. Nowhere in this section is Jesus saying, you should be generous. Nowhere in this section is Jesus saying, you should fast. He doesn't say any of that. Because Jesus assumes we're already doing those things. So this isn't an instruction to do these things. Jesus, like he, he doesn't even go there. Like If you have any knowledge about Jesus, these are the things you are doing in your life. Like If, if you know anything about the Scriptures, this is how you're living your life. And even more so then, when he's talking to a Jewish audience, that this has been the law for a lot longer than they've been alive. Like I'm not going to tell you you need to go pray. Like You already know that. I'm not going to tell you to fast you already know that and i'm not going to tell you you need to be generous you should already be doing all those things but he says the way you do them is disqualifying you from from receiving any blessing from god so it's not you should be doing them but it's the fact that you're doing them the way you're doing them we have a real problem and jesus recognizes the actual impact of those activities are being lost because of the heart behind them. I was thinking about this sermon. I, I was thinking about times in my life in which I've gone through actions that have not actually accomplished goals, but I did a lot of activity. We all have them. I don't know what yours is, but we the other night we were watching um, we were watching King Richard. I don't know if you've seen that about Venus and Serena Williams. I grew up playing tennis. I played tennis in high school. I loved to play tennis. I played hours and hours and hours of tennis. I watched every match in the 80s. Um, I mean, I loved it. Like golden age of tennis, that was when I was growing up and playing tennis. And I had a, a, my best friend at the time. Like we played every day, every day. We would go play for hours and hours and hours. And, um, and then I decided, you know, I'd like to play some more. And I don't know, do we have any tennis players in the room? Uh, so we've got a few, yeah, we've got a few tennis players in the room. So, so I got a tennis trainer. You know what a tennis trainer is? It's like a weight with a tennis ball and this really elastic string attached to the tennis ball. And then you don't have to have anybody to play with you. And you could just hit that ball and you could it'd come right back to you. And you could just hit it over and over and over again. And I didn't have to go to the tennis court. And I didn't have to have anybody come with me. And so I got this trainer. And there are a few things about sports that the sound or the feel um, is everything. Like when you, when you swish a basketball and you get swish it in the right kind of net, you get a whap. You know, you just get this sound and it's different than... Any other sound, and if you hit the rim, you don't get that sound. And if you have a cheapo net, you don't get that sound. But there's just a whap. I can't even make it. But you know what I'm talking about, right? 
at baseball, whenever you get a good hit, and I mean that bat comes through the ball and you hear it, and man, it just takes off. You can feel it. Or if you strike someone out and you hear that ball hit that leather glove right in the palm and it's a good glove and it's a good throw and it's just whop. I mean, none of these sounds are real sounds, right? I'm just making them all up. But you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Well, for tennis, it's all about the pow whenever you hit with the racket. And so I would go out there with my trainer and man, I would just pow, whop. And it sounded good, and I hit it hard, and I was kind of guessing where the net would be. And I mean, I that I'm just going to tell you that was some of the best sounded tennis you've ever heard out in the front uh, street in front of my house. And I would go out and I would hit that thing, and I'd hit it hard, and I felt good. And and I watched all these professionals, and I was doing their body movements, and I was hitting it right, and I was doing it on my shoulders and my feet and everything just right. And the sound was incredible. I couldn't wait to go play. And I it completely wrecked my game. Completely wrecked my game. I got out there, I was ready, you know, kind of walk out. You know how it is. Some of you know how it is. Some of you who aren't competitive, you don't know how it is. But those of you who are competitive know how it is. You walk out and you're like, I'm going to show this person. They shouldn't have even gotten out of bed today. You know, you walk out there and you're ready to let them have it and they're going to hear my pal and they're going to go like, whoa, I shouldn't even be here. This is intimidating. And so I'd get, I'd get ready, square up and pow! And there it went. There it went. I couldn't hardly get a ball in. So I did all the right stuff. I was spending the time, I was doing the practice, I was getting the movement, I was getting the power, I was getting the sound. At the end of the day, I completely wrecked my game. I didn't have any control. I couldn't keep the ball in. And it took me a long time to recover after all of that. See, there are things in life in which we can spend a lot of time and energy and we can really miss the point. <laughs> and that's a lot of what Jesus is talking about here. We spend a lot of time and energy on these activities and we can miss the whole purpose for those activities so that we may do them and we may do stuff but our heart's just not in it. We just don't, we just don't get it. In verse 2 it says, when you get to the needy, sound no trumpet. And we're not exactly sure what that means. There's probably just a figure of speech that says don't announce it. Um, there are some who say, well, it's possible that there were different times of the day during worship at the temple that they would sound trumpets as a part of worship and that, that some of these, um, some people would wait and give their offering. They would time it just for when the trumpet would go off. So that it would be like they were heralding their gift. I don't know if that's true. Most scholars say well, it's really just talking about figuratively, don't broadcast your giving. Don't broadcast your giving. He goes on when he talks about um, praying, not like the hypocrites, um, to pray in secret. And, and what we know is, is that that Lord's Prayer that, that Heath read, we talked about this in a rhythm series not too long ago, so if you'd like to hear more about the Lord's Prayer and about the practice and the rhythm of prayer, you can go back and you can, um, you can watch that. It's on, online. Um, but there were three times a day that early Christians would go and they would pray the Lord's Prayer. They would pray it at 9 a.m., they would pray it at noon, and they would, they would pray it at 3 in the afternoon. And depending on where you were, you prayed. So, like, if you're, uh, I, if you go to Mission Barbecue, right? I, I'm a, we like barbecue. If you go to Mission Barbecue and you're there at noon, what's going to happen? Anybody who's been there at noon? Anybody know? 
yeah, y'all need to go eat at Mission Barbecue, is what this tells me right here. Or you've never been there at noon. At noon, they play the national anthem and everybody stands at noon. So it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Like at 12, it comes on and like it, you stand because everybody else does. And you're like, I'm not going to be just sitting here. So I stand too. It was the same way with prayer. Wherever you were at 9 in the morning, I mean, you're going to the store. You're going to stop and you're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. Or at noon, no matter where you are, if you're at a, at a business lunch, you're going to stop and you're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. And at 3 p.m., no matter where you are, you're going to say the prayer. But what you could do is you could plan where you were at those times. And so what the Pharisees were doing was saying, well, let's, let's, where are the most people at at 9 in the morning? I think that's where I'm going to be to say my prayer. Or where, where, where are they going to be right at noon? I think if we go down to the market, I mean, most people are at the market at noon. Let's go down there, and then we'll just stop, and, and we'll pray, and we'll have this great prayer, and everybody will hear it. And Jesus is saying, no, no, when you do, when you practice, those are good things. That is practicing righteousness. But when you do it in that way, you completely miss the point. So don't do it. So don't do it. Now, it's important we don't read this too literally. Like, he goes on then to say, and don't use too many words. The, the issue is not long prayers. If the issue were long prayers, the, the book of Psalms would not exist, right? Like, they're super long um, poems and prayers to God. They're super long, and they're in the canon, and they're, you know, holy scripture. So the issue is not that if you pray a longer prayer, the issue is what is the motive behind the long prayer. Wow, Mark's really good at praying. He uses some of the, I don't even know what some of those words mean. I will often, when I'm praying, I, I, I am a verbal processor. I'll often process while I'm praying. So it will at times get wordy. <laughs> Because I'm processing what I'm thinking. But he even goes on to say, like, if you're out in public and you're praying, don't make a big show of it. Because this is between you and God. This is not between you and everybody else. This is between you and God. So don't make a big show of it. Now, that doesn't mean we don't pray like we did just a few minutes ago as a congregation. Because people regularly got together to pray together. Where two or more are gathered, God is there. There's a time for us to come together to pray, but... But if you come and, you know, when you get together with pastors, like, you know, there's a a specific order of honor and prayer, right? Like the last person to pray is like the most honored prayer and thing. It's not really, but um, there are all kinds of weird little traditions and legends that go around how we pray and when we pray. But what Jesus is saying here is not um, you need to have really short prayers or only pray the, <coughs> the Lord's Prayer. What he's saying is, if your heart is not in this to connect one-on-one with God, then your prayer means nothing. And that is harsh. And I know that is harsh. And I want us to remember when we read things like this, if you're struggling in your prayer life, that does not mean your prayers are meaningless. Jesus has just said, if you are poor in spirit, the kingdom is here and you're a part of it. People who are often poor in spirit will struggle with praying. So Jesus is not saying, be confident and short, get it over with, and make sure you've got the perfect heart or it's absolutely meaningless. Like that's, 
That's one way it can be <clears throat> interpreted. He's really simply saying this. Is your heart in prayer pure? And if it's not, you're not going to get the benefit of what you're looking for. He says it in the words like this. He says you will receive your reward in full because the reward is to be seen and to be held up in honor amongst others. But the actual God of the universe, the Creator of all things in which we're praying for, is like, you, get what, you got what you wanted. You wanted them to think how great you were. You weren't really talking to me. You weren't really talking to me. And in this is both the beauty and the curse of Christianity. There's a beauty in this in which you can be absolutely yourself. You can struggle. You cannot have the right words. You cannot have like official training. And God receives you as His child. He receives you as you are. But if you try to use Him... <laughs> Or he becomes an ends to a means to an end other than what his ends are. He has some very harsh words for that. Authenticity is not a bonus of Christianity. It is an expectation. And there are all kinds of ways that we in our current culture are not authentic. And I'm not going to rehash what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. The fear that people will find out we're messed up is a misplaced fear because everyone already knows it. We're just afraid for them to know it. But they already do. The fear of trying to prop yourself up that somehow you're better than you are is absolutely worthless. God cannot work in that. Humility is, is literally the most important component to any Christian's life. Because you cannot receive Jesus without it. Repentance doesn't happen outside of humility. Prayer, the true heart of prayer, doesn't happen outside of humility. The true act of righteous generosity does not happen outside of humility. <clears throat> he goes on. Oh, by the way, I love this about the prayer. The reason you don't have to use these big, open, empty phrases uh, is because God already knows. He says that in verse 8, which I think is fantastic. God already knows what your struggle is. <clears throat> he goes on to verse 9 and says, pray in this way. And I do encourage you, if you weren't there, we talked about the Lord's Prayer in rhythms that you go back and look at that because prayer is both individual and communal. It's about praying for us, not just myself. And then when he says, when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites in verse 16. Instead, go clean yourself up and don't even let people know that you're fasting because your audience is God, your audience is not others. And this practice, like, they would, early Christians fasted twice a week. So we're not talking about a 40-day fast here, you know, like Jesus fasted in the desert. Twice a week, early Christians fasted on Wednesdays and on Fridays. And so, like, it's, and, and for many, um, believe that the practice was just missing one meal. <laughs> just missing one meal, missing dinner. On Wednesday, missing dinner on Friday, but then coming in, you know, the next day and be like, oh, I'm just dragging today because, oh man, I fasted good. And I don't really know how you fast good. Like you fast, you don't fast. There's like no good or bad, right? I, I don't, I'm not sure how you fast good. But he says, no, don't even, don't even tip your hat that you're fasting because like they already know you're fasting because they're doing it too. 
But if you're trying to get some kind of kudos because you look like you're doing it better than everybody else, you've missed the point of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God are for those who are poor in spirit, not for those who think they're better than others. And Jesus is going to have this argument over and over and over again throughout the New Testament in so many different ways, but saying the same thing, overarching principle is love others like you love yourself. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Martin Luther said this. He said, um, our righteousness is more dangerous than our sin. This is the full quote. He says, those pious souls who do good to gain the kingdom of heaven not only will never succeed, but they must even be reckoned among the impious. And it is more important to guard them against good works than against sin. Those are some strong words from Martin Luther. Our need for attention through our good works is more dangerous than sin. Because Martin Luther would also go on to say, the easiest thing in the world is to sin. And what he's saying here is, the easiest, <laughs> the easiest way to lose righteousness is to be focused on good works to get you there. Affirmation becomes self-glorification. Or a word we hear often today, narcissism. There's a lot of narcissism in the church today. There's a lot of narcissism in the church today. The sense that we ourselves are forgiven and everyone else is doomed to hell, there's a theological principle in that, but there's also a narcissistic principle when we revel in it. I'm so happy they're going to hell. Man, that's narcissistic. And that misses the whole point of what Jesus was about. The desire to be needed <coughs> is a struggle for a lot. We need to be needed. This idea of gaslighting comes in many ways from this need to be needed. And so I'll set you up until you need me. Just so I'll be needed. Or I'll let everybody know well, I'm just doing my best out here trying to take care of all these needs because they need to look needed. Here's another, another truth in the kingdom is we're all needy. We're all needy. Somehow looking like we are the ones meeting everyone's needs. That's what he's talking about with generosity. Who's meeting their needs? Is it us? Is it God through us? A generous heart happens because the Holy Spirit has changed it. And generosity is one of the greatest indicators of a changed heart because at our core, sin is not about being generous. Sin is about keeping it all for me. This idea of false martyrdom, rampant today. Jesus would go on and talk about um, this kind of a practice in communion later <clears throat> in which he's He's really harsh. Actually, Paul's the one who, who, who says it. Paul says, um, you guys are going to have a communion and you're having a party. And you're just, you don't wait for anybody and you just chow down and you drink as much wine as you can drink. And some of you are dying because you have missed the point of communion. Literally, people were like drinking themselves to death at these parties where they're supposed to be celebrating Jesus. 
So what do we what do we take from this? This is what I think we take from this. <clears throat> Number one, Jesus is continuing to teach that the kingdom is available to people who are truly seeking it. I think, I think this one principle is one of the reasons that the church is exploding in places like Iran and Iraq and China, the Middle East. People are really seeking the kingdom. There's no cultural value. There's no you don't get anything for seeking God in those places. Not 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 Jesus. And yet they're seeking and they're finding him, and the church is exploding in those communities. But in communities where there's some advantage, and that advantage has shrunk to almost nothing in the U.S., but there was a time that the church was growing magnificently in the U.S. because it was culturally acceptable. And now we're seeing the pandemic has kind of erased a lot of that and other things, some just bad behavior by Christians. Jesus is continuing to teach that the kingdom is available to people who are truly seeking it. He is expecting that you are generous. He is expecting that you are praying. He is expecting that you are fasting. Jesus is expecting that this is normal, everyday occurrences. But the power of generosity is not the action of taking what you have and giving it to someone else. The power of generosity is seeing someone else, a fellow image bearer of God that is in need, and I have plenty. God has given me enough for us to have enough. That is the power of generosity, not, wow, Mark really is good at giving. And I really don't know a lot of people that are guilty of this. I mean, I'm sure there are, and I'm sure at times I am, but there's not as much of of a... bend in today's culture to be generous. Jesus expects that we would because there's power in generosity. Jesus expects that we're praying because there's power in prayer. There's power in connecting with God individually and praying. This is a supernatural spiritual faith we have, and we must have supernatural spiritual rhythms and practices that enable it to grow. And the the just the invitation of talking to God and the fact that He already knows what you're going to ask Him is just power and prayer that if we want other people to see us talking to them, it's just crazy. And the power of fasting to, <clears throat> to stop and reconsider and to, to give up so we can receive something more. There's power in fasting. The second thing I think is really important here is that you can be imperfect and fully experience the kingdom, but you cannot fake it. There's a difference here, and I don't want to push us into a place where it's now about performance. Because that was a real problem. And we can say, well, I'll just really try harder then. Performance is not the issue. The heart is the issue. We can't fake the heart. Well, how do we know if we're faking it when we're generous? Well, if we've got to make sure other people know what we're giving... I mean, that's a pretty good indicator. How do we know if we're faking it when we're praying? Well, if, if we really don't think about Him any other time and other than in that moment of prayer and it happens to be at church or with other people then we, or around the dinner table <clears throat> and we're not praying any other time, that's probably a pretty good indicator we're faking it. Or if we're praying in such a way that it's simply God, meet my needs. God, fix my problems. God, rescue me from my decisions. God, make this bad thing go away. If that's all we ever pray, there's probably a good indication that our heart is not really in a connection with the Creator of all things in which we are born in His image. But I want to be careful. We, are, we can be imperfect and fully experience the kingdom. 
you struggle. The poor in spirit struggle, and yet the kingdom is theirs. If you're going, oh my goodness, I just don't know if my motives are right. Like if you wrestle with that, your motives are probably fine. If you never wrestle with that, you might ought to wrestle with it. We can fake out others. I think the most dangerous thing is when we fake out ourselves. I think that's what Martin Luther was trying to say. He's not saying don't give, pray, or fast. He's saying give, pray, and fast, but do it with the right heart or just don't do it at all. In other words, the ends do not justify the means in the kingdom of God. The means are everything. God will take care of the ends. And the third thing, our hearts are the key to effective spiritual practices or rhythms. Our hearts are the key, not just those practices. Next week, we're going to move on to the next section of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is where he says, seek the kingdom and everything else will open up to you. It's not exactly how he says it, but that's pretty much what he says. And he's hammering home this point that for those in this room who are poor in spirit, you can take hope and courage to say, yes, I just want the kingdom. It's easy to say God is good. My house doesn't burn down. But what happens when it does? As I transactionally related to God in which as long as I do my part, He would make sure my house doesn't burn down or my health wouldn't be bad or I wouldn't lose my job or I wouldn't have problems. God, I'll do my thing as long as you do your thing. God is good even when the house burns down. Seek the kingdom and everything will open up to you. That's what we're going to talk about next week. Um, I want to pray with you. And uh, we, are, we are starting to pass the plate again, although today we're not going to pass the plate. <laughs> um, we're gonna, there's a, there's a, a basket up here, and there's a, a basket in the back as you leave. Um, I would ask you to, to give. I would ask you to give. We want this to be a part of... Um, this is a part of our worship. Part of our worship is our generosity. And I would encourage you to do that. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank You that You are a good God and that You do good things. Father, I thank You that no matter matter what, You are with us and You love us. Father, I pray that You would help us to see what's really going on inside of our hearts. When we're faking it, I pray pray that we will know it. God, I also pray that when we're not faking it, but we feel utterly like we have nothing to offer, we have nothing to give. I don't even know what to say when I pray. I feel like I have nothing to offer in generosity to others. I feel like I'm always needing myself. I, I, I... I don't worry if other people know that I'm fasting. I never fast. (laughs) But God, you are patient and you are gentle and you are merciful. We are poor in spirit and uncertain and hurting and broken. It is still enough. 
I pray you'd make it so abundantly clear which it is for us. And I pray that you would forgive us when we fake it. And give us eyes to authentically live this out. And Father, I pray that we would not receive our reward by the acknowledgement of others, but we would receive a heavenly reward from you. And whatever that looks like, let us authentically know you and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray.